I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to I'll Have What She's Having, a food and drink podcast from me, Sophie Wybird. And me, Hannah Crosby. Every week, Sophie and I sit down to dinner. She makes a dish, I pair a wine, and we put the world to rights. This week, we pair courgette and Ogleshield tart with an Essex Chardonnay. And we talk starting a business and mental health journeys with chef patron Dara Klein. We're back, and today we have another very special guest. Hannah, who have we got? I am so excited to say that this week we welcome chef and all-round top babe, Dara Klein. Dara grew up in Emilia-Romagna and Wellington, where she spent most of her time in the restaurant her mum ran. She's lived in Melbourne and New York before eventually settling in London, who can blame her, and embarking on a career slinging pans in some of the city's best restaurants. She recently opened Tiella at the Compton Arms, cooking joyful and hearty Italian food, which we can attest to because we ate there recently and fucking loved it. It was brilliant. It celebrates her heritage uh, and you should all go. Welcome, Dara. Ciao. Thank Ciao. you. Ciao, Buongiorno. 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 It's so nice to have you here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. We've been plotting this for so long and it's we such have. a treat to have you. We have. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. We came to Tiela a few weeks ago when you had had a bit of a like classic kitchen disaster. Yes. But you still managed to pull off a really phenomenal meal for us. Yes, what happened? That, do you know what? That was maybe the, the most challenging day that we had had so far. <gasps> Um, How long had you been open for at that point? Uh, almost three months. Okay. Yeah. We, do you know what? We had the smoothest five weeks at the start. And like I've been in this business since I was seven and I was like, it's never this smooth. Like something's coming. And then we just had like some short staffing issues, some maintenance all going wrong on the same weekend. So I think I saw you on the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And the previous Sunday, um, the boiler for the pub had broken no. and then that Wednesday that we came in it was our first time prepping all together um actually no that wasn't the week that Alex came back we uh, had the dishwasher break and the sink break on the same day and so we lost a few hours from our prep day 
And um, anyways, we pulled it off. We always, you always do, but it can sometimes be a bit spicy in the moment. Yeah, in the morning you're like, I want to die. This is too much. Yeah. Let me go to yeah. bed. <laughs> Pretty much. But we had this incredible uh, mm. cuttlefish ragu. Which I think that was a standout dish for both of us. Standout mm. dish for both of us. There was also that um, the panelle with the anchovies yeah, on top. Honestly, yeah, 10 out of 10. If you guys are in London or London adjacent or fancy coming into London for a really nice meal, go to TL at the Compton Arms. The Compton Arms is also a great pub. I think I was about to say it's also a fabulous location because, yeah, it's a pub garden to all intents and purposes, but it's so, it's kind of only like two tables thick. So it's like quite thin and the garden kind of like snakes around the kitchen. So it's kind of almost like this goldfish bowl that you can look into and see Dara and her chefs doing amazing stuff. It's I mean, it's such a special pub. Like it's got so much character. Um, I was actually sleeping there last weekend because there's a flat upstairs. Oh my God, great. And the guys that live upstairs who both, well, one has just now left working the pub. They were at Glastonbury, so I was looking after the cat. And so I got to sleep in the pub on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Already, like, I've loved that pub from basically as soon as I moved to London. I started going. Um, there's so many quirks. I think it was built in the 1500s. Um, and it's, you can feel the history when you're in there. Like, it's definitely slightly haunted, but with good ghosts. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sunday Sunday night, I was I was by myself in the pub. I was like, oh, I don't know. I can, f-, like, what's this that I'm feeling? But I think they're cheeky. And actually, in the morning, I woke up in the... Well, the sour beer tap had been like it was it was leaking all night, like almost like a ghost had pulled it. They just wanted some pints. Oh, there's, you know what I mean? They're pu- thirsty. They're after a good time. Yeah. There's a pun in there somewhere. Uh, I'm gonna gonna go silent for ten minutes <laughs> while I think of it. But yeah, it's a, it's a fabulous like it's such a beautiful building and like it is very intimate, very low ceilings. The garden is small, but also if you're looking for like a slightly more like a romantic dinner date, the snug, which is the other side of the pub where you can book. Uh, which is the small dining room to the left of the bar. That's also really lovely. And then we we also have tables for walk-ins as well, mm. just in the main kind of entrance of the pub. It's such a good spot. If you want yeah. outside, it is the spot of the summer. Yeah. I think, I, I Find think us we there. had such a brilliant Find time. <laughs> I'm actually going tonight. Are you? Oh, not to eat, but I am going to meet Sick. a friend for a drink. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, so I'll literally see you. Hannah was, like, <laughs> Hannah was like, I've somehow ended up stalking Dara and I'm going to the Arms tonight. Stalk away, stalk away. So you spent a lot of your uh, your childhood and adult life in Wellington. What mm. is the New Zealand equivalent of a pub? Yeah, do you know what? I say this, like, I say this all the time. It's almost funny that the pub format hasn't really taken off in New Zealand, I think the equivalent to a pub in New Zealand, you have a lot of like ah, these places that are kind of cafes, but you they're also beer gardens and they're also kind of restaurants. Like they'll they'll be open morning to night and operate as both like a cafe, a bar, and a restaurant. Oh, great! That are quite family. I think friendly. that probably in the UK we keep things quite separate. It's very rare that you'll have like an all-day space. There'll be like a pub that's open in the evening thinking, and a bakery that's open in the I'm day. I'm thinking of totally. this place and I, I could be making up lies, but I'm thinking about this place in Wellington, which I think is it's called the Southern Cross, which was, in my idea, quite similar to what a pub is over here. Very casual, laid back. Um, but pubs in New Zealand, they're, yeah, they're not, I mean... To be completely honest, they're they're, um, much more like working class spaces that like, I don't know, you don't see like a huge um, array of uh, society 
Mm. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Like it's, gotcha. It's, uh, the pub format, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't translate exactly in New Zealand to how it is over here. So what do you do after work? You go to the, like, you go to a bar. You go or, to like, the beach. Oh, you go to the bloody okay. beach. I, mean, I think you say pub, but it's like there are pubs in New Zealand which are closer to what a pub is over here. Yeah. But they're not as like, I think you just say you're going to go, yeah, you go to the bar. Do you know what? It's been like five years since I've been back. <laughs> I don't remember. You're so I don't remember life anymore. In New <laughs> well, what about what about New Zealand food culture? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome what's happened. So we moved to New Zealand when I was like almost about to turn seven. Oh, nice. And um, not having any family from there, and so it was it was really like a complete new placement. I had no idea what it was going to be like, and and I think the New Zealand that I first arrived to culinarily is very different to what it is now. Um, I think the food scene in New Zealand has developed hugely, especially for being so far away from a lot of the world. Um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, I, to be honest, like I can think of places in Auckland and Wellington, which are the two cities that I've really only lived in. Um, and Auckland's got a really great independent sort of food scene. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I actually really only started getting into food quite seriously um, just before moving over here. So ah. I actually look forward to going back to New Zealand and embracing that because, to be honest, after growing up in a restaurant in New Zealand, I, I think in my, like, late teens and early adulthood, I shied away from it a bit. Yeah, but like, you do that with the things that your parents <laughs> yeah. do. They're really cringe and boring. Yeah. And, so, yeah. Dara, your mum was... A big restaurateur in Wellington. Yeah. What was what was that like growing up in that kind of environment? Oh, how long have we got? <laughs> how long have we got? Yeah. Um, it was it was everything. It was terrifying, stressful, wonderful, exhilarating, really horrible. Um, you know, I think most. Well, I don't know if this is true, but I for me, growing up in a restaurant meant that like my mum and dad were like never home. Yeah. When I say they were never home, like they were never home. Yeah. <laughs> like you and were in the restaurant exactly. instead. Exactly. And both, so we first opened what's called Arosticeria, which is like a hot deli essentially, um, in a suburb that was close to where we lived uh, and close to my primary school. And that was the first iteration. And mum and dad were holding, um, they brought the slow food movement over to Wellington as well. Amazing. And they were holding like monthly dinners and the shop was takeaway. So you could go there and get like fresh bread or fresh pasta or ready hot meals to take home. Um, and then they were holding these kind of monthly dinners and word was spreading and people, mum and dad were having like illegal dinners in the <gasps> deli. <laughs> oh my and God. And then they're like, okay, maybe we could actually open a restaurant. Um, so dad was doing front of house and mum was doing back of house. My dad, I mean, he's a mysterious man. He like was a salesman forever, but studied linguistics, but ended up in hospitality. And then mum was doing all the cooking. Um, and then, yeah, they opened the restaurant and that was kind of more central in Wellington, close to the parliament district, which was, you know, a 20 minute drive from our house. Um, so really from age, like, how old was I? 12 to 18, you know, I if I wanted to be around mum and dad, I would have to go to the restaurant and... Was it know, open all days of the week? Uh, it was shut, I think, Sunday, Monday, I think, and then it was back open either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and, yeah, it was, like, it was... 
I'm really grateful for that life because I think it exposed me to something that obviously I love so much now. In the moment, I really wished to have like parents who worked nine to five. But I think most children or, mm. you know, when you grow up, you always want what you can't, opposite what you can't have, to what yeah. you have. Totally, totally. But um, yeah. Do you think it was something to do with that, which is why it took you a, till a bit later in your life to get into cooking professionally. Absolutely. That is not to say that you're an old lady in the slightest. Old but you know, you lady. She's already said that for the record. <laughs> Let the record show that Dara's already said that. I'm an old hag, yes. <laughs> but you, but it, it, was, it was kind of a career change for you in a way, oh, wasn't 100%. it? 100%. I was 28. Um, I, I mean, mum and dad give me shit about this all the time. They're like, you always said you never wanted to be a chef. Um, I, worked, I worked in restaurants all the way through uni because I studied in Australia um, and I... When I lived in the States, I also worked front of house. And even when I first moved back to New Zealand, I did a little bit of front of house. So I was always in restaurants, but I never, ever, ever hand on heart perceived a job in kitchens to be anything to do with my future. (laughs) Um, And it really happened quite, I don't know. It it sounds really cheesy, but it's like fate was like, okay, I've had enough. You're doing this now. Like, I know this is not what you think you're going to do, but going to step in because it really it happened very kind of randomly how I got into cooking um yeah what yeah. was your path how, looking how like happen? before then yeah I want to okay know so the full yeah full full story all right so I went to uni for creative writing and cinema studies Amazing. and then I got really into theater and acting while I was at uni and I graduated uh yeah from Melbourne uni and then I got into drama school in Sydney mm. Uh, kind of like the Australian equivalent, like RADA, so very, very intensive wow. I think I know the one that you mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was quite, it was pretty funny. I auditioned for like three months to, and then I got in. I only lasted eight months because it was really like being in the army but for actors. And I just hated having people tell me what I had to do all day long. Yeah. Um, and I think I was ready to just not what study. What was the name of it again? It was, um, it was... NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art. I, I always find this kind of thing so interesting because I think I did see, like, people that had been to neither. Yeah, it's a very, it's an epic place. Um, and I, I really wanted it at the time. Like, we had to do, yeah, it was, like, close to, like, three months of auditions. They take, like, 5,000 of us. so intense. And they choose 20 of us to get in the course. And I, I was really convinced, like, I want to be an actor. And then I really hated the course. But I think I was just ready to not study because I'd already done it for three years. Um, and then I moved back to Melbourne for a few months and worked in a restaurant and saved some money. And then I moved to New York, which is very close to where my dad's from. Where's um, your dad from? New Jersey, baby. Oh, West Orange. Is he yeah. proper Italian-American? Well, my, my um, American side is actually like Ashkenazi, Jewish. Ah. And so it's just my mum's side that's Italian. Okay. So my, my American side is like very like East Coast Jewish. The Klein, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. It all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I moved to New York and I, I worked front of house in a restaurant. I, w- I was, I think, having like a gap year because I'd gone straight from high school to um, uni. And then, to be honest, my life kind of took a real turn. And I, while I was in New York, I got diagnosed with bipolar. And I ah. had like a really major manic episode um, and was hospitalized for quite a while and then I had to move back to New Zealand and really take care oh my of myself. Word. Yeah. Um, and my life was pretty rocky for a few years, uh, kind of having one episode after another. Trying to figure out like the right balance of health. What was yeah. it like getting the diagnosis? Because mm. some people find it freeing and some people find it like 
Oh, God. I mean, yeah, to be totally transparent, like, so my mum has, like, pretty severe mental health issues. Um, She's avoided diagnoses her whole life. <laughs> yeah. But we're pretty, like, I'm pretty sure we have a very similar thing. Yeah. Um, I didn't, yeah, for the first four years, I really struggled with it. Um, and there were other things happening in my life that were quite destabilizing. But I really, I thought that there was another way around things. And I played doctor a few times and would, I just really struggled with the medication, to be honest. Like it was, I felt like it was like dulling parts of me. And so I had a very, very rocky, turbulent time between sort of age like 23 to 27. Um, but during that time, like when I went back to New Zealand, this is when I got into like office jobs. So my dad and my doctor were kind of like, you need some routine, you need some stability. And so I started working as like admin assistant or like marketing assistant for like short-term contract jobs. And you like name the industry and I tried it, like <laughs> government, like an ad agency, a creative arts trust. Like I, I was just trying to find something that stuck and I was so miserable and I was having this like, existential crisis of like this can't be what my life is um and then fast forward to like 2017 and unfortunately I had another episode but I was up in Auckland at the time or just north of Auckland close to where my mum was and I was in a very very small beach town um when I got unwell and I was like you know what when I sort of came to and I was in hospital I was like I think I actually need some time off and I need some time away from the grind of life. And so I actually stayed in that town, which is called, well, it was Ahipara, which is just near like, it's in Northland, which is like the most kind of remote north part of New Zealand. <clears throat> and I lived with this amazing, quite wacky Dutch beekeeper for seven months. And I was on the <laughs> nice. dole. I was just not working. And I, I gave myself time resting. off. Resting and like letting my, my mind and my soul kind of heal and that's actually when I got really into cooking because I wasn't working and so I was trying to really fill my time with practical, positive things. And I was, I had an incredible garden at my disposal. I was learning how to beekeep. I felt very connected to land and food. Um, and then I moved to Auckland after that, close to where my mum was. And I, again, got an office job because Auckland's quite an expensive city and I needed to make money. I didn't want to be in hospitality. Um, but I was really cooking and um, a lot in my downtime. And uh, that's when I sort of said to my mum, I was like, hey, do you want to like hold a supper club? Like you're pretty much retired. I Like all we do is cook together. Should we try and like do this? Um, kind of as just like a fun idea. And that's what we did. And that was the start of all of this. And that was 2018, I think like April. That's incredible. Mm. That's amazing. It's happened so quickly. <laughs> it's a really important thing that you've touched on, I think, just like the healing powers mm. of cooking and mm. and feeling really connected to that side of things, to nature and, yes. to, and to the processes of, of pulling together a really delicious plate of food. We yeah. talked earlier today about um, cooking as um, a process that you can use in, as part of the healing process. Totally. Cooking as part of healing. Oh, it's massive. I think... Um, it really put my life together, I have to be honest. Like it really, it was always, food was always the main kind of pillar in my family life and in my, just in my like identity really. It was like the glue, but I never perceived it to be a 
possible career path because I saw my mum have it so hard. Yeah. Like, you know. It's off-putting, I'm sure. It was really off. And she was running a restaurant in, you know, the early 2000s where it was even more difficult for women and, mm. you know, with all her mental health issues. And I was like, well, I, I could not deal with that kind of stress. Um, but life had other plans. I'm very, I'm very happy it did. <laughs> and here you are. Yes. And it's all been leading up to this podcast recording. It has, it has. It's really interesting the, um, the like different relationships that different generations have with their mental health and discussing it. Mm. I know that it's something that our generation are much more literate and comfortable discussing yeah. and like really exploring within themselves how they how they really feel about things and how their minds how and why yeah. their minds go to places. Yeah. But some our parents' generations don't always they're not they're not open to it always. No, I, I mean I just believe like shared shared knowledge or like a shared burden as well. I don't know what they're saying. It's they're like, like life you, is hard. Get yeah, over it kind like, of thing. The, when you share things, the burden is lessened. Oh I yeah. Think. A problem like, shared is a problem hard. Exactly. There always, you go. Always. Um and I yeah, I think one of the reasons I'm so like quite keen to talk about my own like experience of mental health is that I think for me personally, like I've seen a lot of media around like depression or anxiety, um, but I haven't seen a lot of media that I think touches on my own personal experience of like mm. mania and psychosis, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, quite heavy, but like yeah. it's interesting, I think, to discuss it because it is, you know, yeah. it's out there. It's out there. It's, it's a really common, it's a yeah. really common thing that a lot of people go through all yeah. around the world. yeah. And talking about it only helps to understand that better and understand other people yeah. better. And yeah, mania isn't something that's really talked about at all. No, and yeah, I mean, well, I've experienced it four times. Yeah. And it was like pretty serious. Like the Dara you see. Yeah. Like not, yeah, yeah. not in the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for several weeks at a time. Um, oh my and gosh. Like, it, look, it is... Like super, super scary. And I luckily had some angels <laughs> watching over me being like, okay, we're not going to let her get into real trouble. Yeah. But I was very close to putting myself in like really harmful positions. And I didn't know what was happening, especially not the first time. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, you didn't know what was happening as in it's almost like an out-of-body experience? Yeah, I mean, it f- just like it sort of feel if you can... If you can imagine like the best party high that you've ever had like a similar I don't know like quite um just feels like very intense euphoria and like you've just you're in control of everything in your universe it's like it's very very surreal and yeah very out of body Mm. um and you don't like reality gets very very blurry so like what you perceive to be real is real in that time and it can be very it's a yeah very destabilizing experience but quite you know, there is something kind of addictive to it, which is... It must um, be kind of, in a way, kind of fun in the moment before oh yeah. it gets scary. Yeah. It's but like, it, it really, um, yeah, very fun, but very intense. And the come down is, is just, the other side of it is really hard. So I think like, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of, say, like films or TV shows or mm-hmm. podcasts that discuss it in a way which I think, huh, okay, yeah, that's similar to what... Mm-hmm. I'm it's sure there'll be people listening to this. Yeah. But Get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. How does how was your relationship with your bipolar now a few years on from that especially yeah, destabilizing I mean, period? I haven't had an episode since I um actually became a chef, which is quite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, it took me That's the better great. part of um five years to find the right medication. 
That was like a, a very significant journey to go on. Um, and then essentially, yeah, for the year, I haven't had an episode since the year before I moved here. So it's going on six or seven years. Um, I would say the routine and the purpose that the kitchen gives is something which is like so important to my lifestyle. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think other people who may have had similar life experiences to me, I think we all tend to be quite passionate and quite creative mm-hmm. uh, and have a lot to express. And so I think almost I'm channeling a lot of all of my energy into this kitchen and job, which, I mean, it's important to keep it balanced and make sure you yeah. give it to other elements of mm-hmm. your own personal life. But um, I think chefing really grounded me and just ultimately gave me a channel for every facet of my creativity. Um, and it's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. What a beautiful thing. Mm. We're so pleased for you. I mean, Thank it's amazing you. that you've kind of, it sends like a long painful but very exciting and like brilliant journey of self-discovery yeah very full circle like it it, it sometimes catches me off guard like I'm I feel very uh lucky lucky and equal parts like touched and sad I'm almost having like the experience that my mum didn't have yeah she was in a generation that like really didn't understand her mental Mm -hmm. state and she didn't understand it herself and couldn't look after herself. So I feel very lucky that, like, I'm in this generation of uh, time to yeah, totally. explore it. But, um, You're doing it for her. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, it's something, you know, when you work in, I think, kitchens, um, you know, just the nature of the job and the nature of the hours and all the other stuff that comes with it um, can be quite tricky to manage, you mm. know. Like, you can be... A, Obviously, the really late nights and lack of sleep. Like I had doctors be like, you cannot do this. You're going to be averaging like five hours of sleep a night. And I really did for a bulk of my early years cooking in London. Um, the early starts and the late nights. Like I was quite worried. I was like, oh, no, I should be sleeping more. But yeah, if you can make sure you're really looking after yourself, um, I think it's a wonderful challenge, you know? Mm. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, speaking of food. I know. I shall we? Yes. yes. It's been staring at me in the face. It has. <laughs> so today I've cooked. It was a bit of a, it was a fever dream of a meal that I wanted to make, but it's a braised courgette and ogle shield tart. So I braised some courgettes for a really long time with loads of olive Yum. oil and garlic and thyme. And then I've put those on top of a puff pastry base with creme fraiche and ogle shield cheese, which I love. It's mm. so, it's kind of funky and it melts really nicely. Mm. Um, I have no idea what it's going to taste like. We're about to find out. Mm. Delicious. We're about to find out. What are we drinking with it, Han? So today we are drinking a wine from Renegade. Renegade are great. Um, so for anyone that isn't familiar with Renegade, you might have seen the bottles. They all have eyes of, they all have eyes on the label. Um, they're an urban winery based in Bethel Green originally, but they're now part of a bigger operation in Walthamstow. But what's interesting about Renegade is they don't actually own any of their own vineyards. Instead, they buy grapes from as like far afield as like Germany and Italy and mm. they freeze them, bring them over to London and then make the wine here. Oh. Right. But this wine is <laughs> from Essex. Um, so Sick. the grapes haven't had to travel so far. 
Essex Chardonnay, um, as we all know, England does pretty good sparkling wines now. They also do pretty good still ones. I don't so, think I've ever had an Essex wine before. Oh, well. I've had Essex and Kent. Yeah, that Tillingham. I've only had Tillingham yeah. wines mm. as my... So this is fermented using wild yeast, so no kind of like added yeast strains in um, old oak, so ex-Burgundy and ex-Hungarian barrels, Mm. and a little bit of new French oak. Um, And this is just like a really kind of like classic cool climate Chardonnay. We have the same climate that, I don't know, like Champagne had maybe about 20 years ago. So Mm. when we've got like similar kind of like limestone-y, chalky soils, so going to be like really cool and zesty and smooth and like a little bit of cream from the I think it goes under I think it undergoes malolactic fermentation as well so one thing I really like about the bottles so the eyes are photographs of people that live in and around East London they can't be connected to the wine industry that's the only rule but every time they make a new vintage of the wine they get the person to come in a year later to take the photo oh so, I love that so you have a real kind of like a track of somebody's life over the years. Yeah. So Kyra, who is one half of Little Places London, she is on the sparkling rosé bottle because they make it every year. They're taking a photo of her every single year. So it's quite nice to like watch her get older with Aww, the wine. But um, yeah, let me pour some. I've been talking about it for long enough. Fabulous. Sophie, this courgette. It's Corgette delicious. Lovely. So in classic, in classic recording fashion, it's now a bit cold. But no, but it's wonderful. I just love courgette season. I've been yeah. so excited about courgette season. I was actually thinking about courgettes quite late at night. <laughs> oh my god, great! <laughs> night, I've tapped like, into your head. Yeah, because I've I've had courgettes a couple of times on the menu so far. Thank you. Um, mm. But I was actually thinking I need to do something else with them. Because they're so wonderful at the moment. They are. I just love them so much. My granny's always got like a crazy glut in her garden. And if I ever go and see her in the summer months, she sends me home with like bags of courgettes. Fabulous. I'm excited for that day. <laughs> so this wine and food pairing has happened because Chardonnay, good with cheesy stuff. Chardonnay uh, is... And I was like, give me cheese. I know, because there was a bit nice. of a running joke last season that Sophie didn't really know how to make a meal without having a considerable amount of cheese in Everything it. Everything was cheese-based. Everything. And this season I've actually held off till today, so... They were she in our salad. We're in our salad Back in the comfort season. zone. Yes. Cheers, darling. So nice to see you. Clink. Clink. Cheers. Cheers. I can clink you. Clink. That was a good one. Mm. And it's like, oh, I like her. Oh, that's good. She's so Chardonnay. Uh, cool Soft. kind of, yeah. yeah cool climate buttery. Chardonnay is also going to have this really mm. pleasing palate cleansing effect as well. So. Delicious. Chardonnay Lovely. had a really bad name for a really long time. And bad Chardonnay mm. is still quite bad. But good Chardonnay mm. is unbelievable. Good Chardonnay has always been good. But I yeah. think it's just because the style of Chardonnay became so popular in America in like the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s, like overly oaked, like... Because yeah. all the new world, a lot of countries that are patronizingly called new world winemaking countries, it's to do with, um, so the way that I read someone describing the old world versus the new world is uh, being the influencer but versus being the influenced. Yeah. And because gotcha. like um, America's um, young wine scene were like trying to like make wines that rivaled like Bordeaux mm-hmm. and Burgundy and they were like, well, obviously the key to that is oak. So it just see, it seems it seems like a logical argument. They're like, okay, so if the key is oak, then we'll just put like loads of oak chips in the sure. oak barrels to make it like really oaky, and then that's why. And then because those wines became so popular, everyone in the Western world that wasn't necessarily like part of the wine scene was like, yeah. oh yeah, so all Chardonnay is yeah. like really oaky and creamy and vanilla. 
Um, but yeah. No. We all got confused. We just got a bit muddled. Anything but Chardonnay. There was even a movement. Everyone hates Chardonnay so much. <laughs> you're gonna um you're gonna expose me. I uh I have a, a wine importer for a dad and I've been around mm. wine forever mm. and have worked in restaurants with the most incredible wine lists and have had great wine training, but I do not have a mind for retaining wine knowledge. Mm. And all I it's actually quite embarrassing. I don't even I've I've now learned how to articulate the flavors that I like, but um, I get really embarrassed when talking about wine. Like oh. I just go silent. I've got nothing mm. to add. And even at wine tasting, we we we're very lucky at, um, at Trulo. We would do a lot of wine tastings as part of our just work life. Um, and I almost feel like I can get so specific with food knowledge and. I love talking about food, but with wine, it's either I like it or I don't. Mm. <laughs> or like, good or not. Like, I don't know. I just, um, I blank. But I, all you really need to know. What you sure. like. Yeah. 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 I'm finding the vocabulary and the specific words. So, like, you don't really need to go in and learn the vocab and the terminology around a wine that you're never going to go into a shop and buy. You yeah. just need to know what you like. You need to be able to sit in a restaurant and be like, can I have something that's a bit this? Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because I think my dad a few times has, you know, because his, um, his uh, import company is really awesome. Um, it's back in New Zealand and he just imports Italian wines. Mm. Um, of Yeah, he's got a, a huge portfolio. Some is um, very low intervention. A large part of it is low intervention and organic or uh, natural. But he also, he's so passionate about it. And a few times he's been like, hey, you know, one day when you get sick of the kitchen, you know, mm. do you think you're going to want to make the transition into wine and maybe take over the family business? Take over the family business. No, oh, no, I, was, no. I was about to do an accent. I was yeah. like, actually, no, my New Jersey accent is shit. <laughs> I can do it for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad. Has he retained it? No, because he actually left, he left the States when he was like 21. Mm. Um, he's been gone for a very long time. But my grandma, my nono, and my nono definitely. Um, well, my nono had a beautiful, very New Jersey accent. Every time I call my grandma, it's like, like, Bubbly, you haven't called me for three weeks. Like, it's very, like, it's, it's so classic. Um, she's a, she's a honey. Bubbly. Where yeah. did your parents meet? Uh, so they met in Florence in the 80s, uh, late 80s. My dad, <laughs> he's a funny one. He was actually studying in Lancaster. Uh, he was doing a linguistics degree. Wow. Um, I think majoring in like southern Mediterranean dialects. And anyway, he um he was in Italy. He, even for his studies, he ended up going to the village. My mum is from like the very south of Puglia. She's from a tiny town, like as close to the tip of the hill as you can kind of get. Wow. Um, really southern Salento. And he he was there for some of his research. But anyway, they were in Florence. My mum broke all the rules and left Florence when she was in her early 20s. Oh, sorry, left Puglia in her early 20s, which as the oldest girl, you're not supposed to do. Are you supposed to stay in the family yeah, until, she's the, until you're married? Is well, that the... kind of. And even beyond that, like when you're the oldest um, daughter and she was the oldest of six, um, she was sort of expected to stay behind and look after her mother and father. Um, and she didn't. She flew... Uh, and went to Milan and Florence and the family completely cut her off. It was something out of like a novel. Oh, my God. Um, so mum and dad met at a party and apparently my dad was baking bread, um, which actually is something that my dad would do at a party. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then they Are had the afters making bread? Yeah. <laughs> 
I'd marry I wouldn't him put too. A, yeah, I I'd wouldn't put a pass too. Oh, there's a pun in there as well. Oh, I came up with, I came up with a pun for the coat. Circle back, circle but it's back. More of, um, it's more of like a physical joke. You'd have to see it. <laughs> you can go for the camera. Um, no, no, I said, like, <laughs> go I on, go on. Like, how I'm going to do, do it. But it was like, just like, imagine of like, um, uh, you know, like one of the ghosts that has like a head under their arm, like pulling a pie. And it's like, you know, yeah, no head for me, thanks. There we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. That was worth the wait. It sounds like it took me <laughs> half an hour to come up with that. Actually, it took me five seconds. Um, She's been waiting for a gap in the conversation yeah, to come back. I love it. I haven't been, I've been like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of ways to make it circle back to the ghost. Yeah. Um, okay, and now I'm going to think for the next half hour about um, DJing <laughs> and bread making. Sick. Yeah. It actually didn't take me half an hour, I did it in 30 seconds, I was going to get back that's the most me thing ever. I'm, like, I'm actually really smart. Exposed. It just doesn't seem like it. Exposed. <laughs> um, yeah, they uh, yeah they had a summer fling. They had like a little. They just they hooked up at a party more, basically. Tell me more. Love and them. then um, my mum, you know, was staying in Florence. My dad had gone back to England, and my mum calls him and was like, "Hi, so I'm pregnant." Mm. And dad's like, "Right, well, um, I'll come get you." And then mum followed him back here to the UK. They just, they didn't really know each other. My mum didn't speak a word of English. They were in <gasps> Lancaster in winter in the late 80s. My mum must have just been like, what is going on? Um, and yeah, my sister was born. They moved back to Modena. And then four years later, I showed up. And then, uh, yeah. Oh my God. History. That's incredible. Mm. And yeah, they were married for about 27 years. They're Ran a restaurant together. I mean, in a to be upfront in a very highly dysfunctional oh my <laughs> manner, God. As, as you can only as you can imagine. imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as all hospitality relationships yeah. are. Yeah, and that's like that was like another reason I think I was so uh, just frightened by it. I was like, that element of your life doesn't seem to be able to function if you run a restaurant. Yeah, doesn't mm. seem like you can really have a family at the same time. But yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's mom and dad. It's really interesting you say that because my dad actually did, uh, his degree was in hotel catering and management. Okay. He wanted to run a restaurant. And I think he found out at some point during the degree that the highest divorce rates were in hospitality. Yeah. yeah. And my dad, he's probably listening to this. He is like a family man. Yeah. And he was like, I don't want to do it. I want to be a family. Yeah. So he never went into hospitality. Oh my God. And that was yeah. always his plan. Look, so it's, interesting. it's really like, yeah, I can say it. Like I've been with my partner like five and a half years, but like, you know, Wednesday to Sunday, I'm gone from the early morning until the late evening. Like it, it, luckily he works from home and like. What does he do? Uh, so he's been working in like uh, music software for ages. Ooh. but um, I've got a software boy too. And hey, you've got a music boy. Hey. I know. Hey, but he's he, actually, he he's, he's gone back to uni this year to become a psychologist. <gasps> We stand a late yeah. learning, late in life learning yeah. king. He's yeah. Hey Marcus. Yeah, he's he's a legend. We love you, Marcus. I've never met you before, but you sound like a cool <laughs> dude. Marcus. But yeah, bless him. Like, you know, it's really hard. It's hard. Like I'm not really around. And like I'm never around on weekends. I'm not at the weddings, his friends' weddings. I'm not, you know, like it's uh It's I, a different just, lifestyle you It really up to. is. Like when I first moved to London, he um because he still works for, like, a New Zealand company, he, like, changed his work week so he would have Sunday Mondays off. So then we always have Mondays together. 
Um, That's amazing. Because he just knew that if his day's off for Friday, Saturday, like I'd But again, that routine, that routine and that stability, that's what, yeah, yeah, that's what matters. It sounds like you're finding the ways to make your relationship work in the most functional way possible, despite your hospitality hours, which is, you know, I'm sure an amazing learning that you can take from like witnessing the environment that you're growing up in. Do you know what? It was actually, that was like one of the reasons I quite liked being at the pub last weekend, sleeping there. Like, uh, it was also his birthday and he was, like, upstairs. And it was so nice. I could just, like, pop up and give him some breakfast and, like, yeah. go back downstairs. The closeness. And, and I actually think, like, when that weekend was over, I was like, do you know what? Like, if that's what I'd have to through. do in the yeah. future, like... I personally, I don't, I don't really think having a family is for me. So I don't... I'm not too concerned about figuring all of that out um, in any, you know, nearby time frame. But at least, like, thinking about really owning a place where you were going to be there all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if I had a little house behind her. That would be so I'd be yeah. happy. <laughs> That's the way. That's There's the lots, way. Of, lots of chefs around the world do that. Um, yeah, I remember, I, I, I feel like it was on, was that Ugly Delicious? The episode about like a Korean-American family that have a restaurant in LA. Oh, I don't think I've seen they, that one. Yeah, they've got two, the chefs, they've got like two young kids and the restaurant is in front and the house is, like, directly behind them. And they've sort of built this amazing, like, sliding door function. Incredible. And, the, I mean, the kids are definitely, like, causing havoc on the floor. And, like, yeah. the, other, the other chefs in the, in the show, like, look kind of stressed out. And I've been in that position where, like, you're working in a restaurant and the, the kids of the chef come in and run around. It's, like, chaotic but in the best way. You're I like, love that energy. I love lives. that energy. Yeah, I remember um, reading, I think it was, like, a Margot Henderson article and she was talking about when her kids were really small and she's like yeah I had to go to work and I just put them in the stock pot under the counter I was like great yes did you actually make it work yeah did either of you ever read Mrs Wobble the waitress the book when or am I unlocking a core memory really really rings a bell but I can't remember so it was those so it was those books and it was like someone who has a job so it's kind of like learning about jobs but yeah, it also yeah. had like a little story behind so it was yeah. mrs jolly's joke shop mrs vol the vet they're all misses but they all ah, had like quite cool jobs um but respectable um, lady mrs wobble the waitress she was like wobbly and like it's got really great images because she wobbles with a roast turkey and then it ends up on a woman's head <laughs> she wobbles with a bowl of soup and then she gets um fired from her job and her husband and her two children are like oh no mom we'll sort something out and then in the morning, they've transformed downstairs in their home to a restaurant. Sick. Is this, is, is this like tickling? I'll show I, you the pictures. Show me the, the pictures, we'll do it. They've ter- transformed there. downstairs into a restaurant. And she goes, oh, what if I wobble? What if I wobble? And then they get their guests in. And the two kids have got roller skates on and fishing nets. And she goes, what is it? And they're like, oh, you'll see. And she wobbles and they catch everything. And they're like skimming around on the roller skates. And then, like, the restaurant becomes a big success. And the last line is, but what if I don't wobble? And just, oh. like, she didn't cure her wobbliness. Oh. It's so cute. Wait, I'll very see That's how you do it. That's what we want. The best part, I think, of chefing is, is the teamwork and the people you're you with. You build such incredible camaraderie with the people that you work with. Yeah, I'm sure that really you found, close. like, moving to a new place, what, a new country on the other side of the world. Yeah. You must make friends so quickly. I mean, that's like, hospitality. it's always what I've done. Like every country that I've moved to, I've always worked in restaurants because it's the easiest way to meet people from that city and to kind of get to know the city. So many people come in and you can really, I don't know. Get you get to the know vibe people. quickly. Yeah. 
Um, and I've been really lucky. Like every restaurant that I've worked in had a pretty amazing sort of social aspect to it. Um, so I've met lots of people. And yeah, most most of my friends also now tend to work in hospitality. And it's nice because you all have the same really crazy sort of days off. Yeah, um, that's when it works best, I think. Yeah. I think when I worked in restaurants, my problem was that none of my other friends did. You need it. So that's it. when it feels a bit more isolating. Yeah. When you're all in it together, that must feel yeah. incredible. Yeah, when you've got that like Monday off and you know like a few friends are off and you're like, hey, let's go for lunch. Yeah. Like exactly. I really cherish the lunches on Mondays with other chefs. And Where are your favourite Monday eating spots? Because for Mondays industry are, peeps, yeah. Mondays are classically the day where lots of things are closed. Yeah, so, so where are your favourites? So Noble Rot is open. Mm. I think Braun's open in the evening. On those lunches, um, probably the best value lunch that you can yeah, get, like 25 actually, quid for three courses. Yeah, what, we were... No, um, no, we're up. no we're up. It's a set I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's 20... I was there actually on, on Monday for Marcus's birthday. Um, mm. I think it's, yeah, 20, 22 for two courses and 26 for three. Oh, that's incredible. Um, and it's such a... It's no, so good Soho there. is such, such a beautiful room. It's still Alex well. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Delicious food. Um, where else? I love... I mean, see, I like... I quite like venturing to, like, parts of London that I don't go to too often. And, like, I'll get a recommendation from either someone that, you know, who I admire and follow recommends for, like, the other side of the city or, like, if I get really chatting to an Uber driver. And I, I always ask drivers, like, where their favourite place to eat is. Um, That's a great shout. Yeah, I've got them saved in a folder in my phone. Um, I've, I'm really... This, I got given a name of an um, Afghani restaurant quite far out that looks incredible. They've got all this, like, amazing buffet. Have you been to Afghan Grill? No. It is like the other side of the park to you. It oh, is really? so delicious. We go there a lot on Mondays. Okay. Um, go there. It's oh literally like on Bethnal Green Road next to... Oh, my just God. Kind of sort of across from where Epilici is. Epilici yeah. is great on Mondays. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess you must want to eat quite like casual food on yeah. your days off. I, yeah. Also food that like doesn't resemble your kind of cooking too For much, sure. right? Either it goes kind of one of two ways. Either I really want to be in a restaurant and get a bit pampered and drink something really special and eat something really good quality or, but I mean, not saying that. I'm just something pampered. Like, you know, you just want to be yeah, looked after. looked after. Or I just want to be like in a place that resembles a living room. Um, yeah. That's really laid back and I don't have to, you know, think too much about it. That's what you just want. enjoy it. We actually you haven't spoken up. about Polici's yet on the podcast. I don't think we ever have. No. Which is wild. If Polici is the play I've been getting to know. So when I live down the street, I've tried to build a relationship with them for like a good four years because my dream is before I leave London to have a pop-up in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, really, I've been working. We always chat in Italian. We've got good banter, but I'm working on it one day. Really? One day. <laughs> They're so... <laughs> They're going to say yes. I haven't I haven't asked the question yet, but if you're listening, Nev, you know. They do Hindus there. Yeah. They'll let you do something there. I mean, I think of, you know what? I actually have questions for you guys because I, like... I like it when we get quiet. <laughs> so like the the, the size... intro, I'm flipping the script. <laughs> well, because we're we we're both on very like you know we work in the same kind of industry, but in very mm. different capacities. And I often think about you guys in the media sphere. Um, me personally, I find social media, and I do all the socials for Tiella. Like I I find it really overwhelming. And it's so I... impressive. Can I just say that you do all the socials? Yeah, it's very and cool. all the cooking and all the scheduling <laughs> and the food ordering and the staff. Yeah. Like that is a massive job. Yeah. You're a cool lady. That's <laughs> I, mega. I also do have like I've got great support both in the pub and in my own staff. But it's a lot, yeah. It's um 
I've never been so busy, but I love it. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, girl boss, <laughs> gate lights, not gate light. Hold on, don't <laughs> gate light, <laughs> girl boss, gas keep. Don't don't invade the question. Um, I I personally find um, media, social media, to be such an intense. Um, bombardment of stimulus that I personally and that ever since starting Tiella I scroll a lot less I look through stories a lot less because it fi- I find it like almost like muddles my brain mm. and I I really because you know the two of you like and I've got other friends who are kind of in the same sphere as you guys and I imagine it must be quite a challenge to hold on to your own identity and to hold on to your own ideals in a very intensely saturated world I don't know I don't know how you guys do it, it I'm massively you're, you're totally right it yeah. is basically I think we talk about this quite a lot we, we, we were talking about it earlier it's kind of like I think that self-awareness is key like at the end of the day you're just putting pictures on a little app and so then when we'll we say like oh I'm like we'll say like I can't believe that we didn't get invited to this or I can't believe the <laughs> yeah. level of, and then you just take a step out you're like god who the fuck do I think I am kind of thing I think that because when you get a big following I think it could be very easy to slip into being a bit egotistical and I think you have to be a little bit egotistical to do well like you have to <coughs> sure. care about your personal brand and you have to care about how you come across to do yeah, well yeah I'm experiencing that as well on a level like I've got people like in the DMs like really asking questions about my history and my cooking and my family who've come in to eat and who feel like they can take that, not take that part of you, but they, you know, they want to know more. They, want, they, they feel entitled to that information. Yeah, and I, like I've been a line cook for the last five years, like yeah. she, like hidden away in a little kitchen. So I'm yeah, like yeah. almost quite booked out by it, but I'm like, whoa, why we do you want to know? Yeah, we talk yeah. about this as well. Like this idea that although it's not the same as going to like a pop-up done by you or a wine club done by me, isn't the same as booking a table at a restaurant having a meal. I think some people feel entitled. They feel like that because they've put money in your personal bank account as if you don't have any overheads whatsoever. They feel entitled to your time and information about your life, which is fine if you're in the mood to give it. But it's sometimes, and I think it's interesting as women, like, um, yeah, I have a lot of, obviously the kitchen, the pub is really open. Like we've got the windows open at all times. And I can definitely like um, sometimes see when people like, you know, I make eye contact with them from the kitchen and it's like, a lot of the time I'm in the kitchen, I'm not smiling. Like, yeah, we have a good time, but like, I'm quite focused. You're focused, yeah. And you know, I've got... No one works managing like a, this. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm managing a ticket board and also trying to cook and communicate with everyone at the same time. Um, sometimes I think that people, I feel a need to like, always be quite chipper and like, almost like be really inviting and like friendly and warm and it's something that I walk through in life where I'm like, oh, sometimes I just really can't be asked. Or like, I don't have the time for it. It's the classic, like, smile, love. It might never happen. Yeah, thing. even... Yeah. Well, like, yeah. people expect it from you, especially as women. I, I oh, know don't get me started. Extent, but, like, people expect you to be warm, chirpy, yeah. on it, feeling, like, feeling friendly all the time. And you don't always feel friendly. No, sometimes you don't feel friendly. It's interesting as a chef that like, I've got some suppliers, you know, who I communicate with on WhatsApp who exclusively will only call me like young lady and sweetheart and poppet and darling who've never used the word like chef. And then like they'll be in the kitchen dropping off some goods and then like my male sous chef will be there and they're like, oh, hey, chef. And it's just this thing of like... You just, know why I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You have to learn to laugh at it. You can't no, take it personally. No, totally, like, totally. It's actually like if you... My mum was my mum was quite... I think she was good and bad at it. But like if you can learn to like... Have a laugh with it. It 
it stings a little less. But, um, mm. but yeah. I mean, what you're saying about the social media thing, like, I think it's basically impossible to not compare yourself to what other people are doing all the time. Mm. I yeah. think the thing that I struggle with the most is not letting yeah. what other people are doing cloud who I feel about what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing the right kind of thing. Yeah. And the main thing that you have to try and do is try and tune out from what other people are doing and not compare yourself to other people. It's definitely which the same. Which is a near impossible task. Yeah. I try and stay off social media for like long stretches of time. Like whenever I go on holiday, yeah. I delete Instagram off my phone and I won't Good. look at it for at least like three days of yeah. holiday. I'll just have it. And it's actually incredible what it does yeah. for my like feelings of anxiety to not have that stuff clouding me. Yeah, and just being like, especially, you know, if you, like you guys, or even I, I would say it's a little bit like what I'm doing now where you merge your personal identity with yeah, your professional. Totally. Yeah, it's so <laughs> hard not gets to. It's very blurry. Um, yeah. But I yeah. think because it's so such a metric-focused app as well, you tend to, like, I catch myself doing it. In my head, I'm like, I would never do that. But in, like, so, for example, we were having a conversation earlier today and we were like, oh, my God, like, I was saying, like, oh, my God, this person only started doing what they're doing, like, a few months ago and they've already got more followers than me. And I just stepped back, I was like, who the fuck do I think yeah. I am? Do you know what I mean? And Thank suddenly, you. all of a sudden, you care about this really inane stuff when really, like, okay, fine, like, you don't have as many followers as perhaps, like, one of your peers does. But yeah, you're you're right, Sophie. You kind of need to almost like stay in your eye and put the blinkers on, trust in what you're doing because people can smell when you're doing things yeah. because someone else has done them. It's you like, got to check in with yourself all the time. For sure. yeah, like, who am I doing this for? Who am yeah. I? Yeah, it's a bit. I, I'd say it's a little bit similar to restaurants. Like I, I haven't been looking at other things friends are posting all that closely, like chef friends. And sometimes I look at other menus, and you, yeah, I definitely have that like momentary comparative analysis from like, oh shit, like. I need to do that and that and that, but it's not worth it, is it? It just never is. It never no. is. But it's so hard not to self-flagellate like that. Yeah. It's it never too easy. Ends. It's right yeah. there. Yeah. It's right there. So it's nev- there's never been a better time to be a chef. There's never been a better time, so, so to speak, to be mentally ill, which is great. <laughs> hey, shut up. There's never been a better Cheers time to, to be mentally ill. Um, should we do letters? I feel like we've been talking for a I think years. we should. Ooh. Should we do letters? All right, so letter from an anonymous lady. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Slash man. I shouldn't assume it's a lady. They're basically all ladies. 80%. 80%. Oh, do you know, do yeah, you know who you're... 80% women. Readership is? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sick. <laughs> it's, it's for the girls. Hi, ladies. The girls. Um, how did you overcome fear when setting up your own business? I didn't. <laughs> That's important to say. I didn't. That's important to say. Um, in, the, in the weeks leading up to it, I was sat bolt upright in bed, you know, at three in the morning thinking about like oh shit what if my insurance doesn't come through and like what happens if no one comes and like I had so many questions um 
ride the wave. Like you've got to obviously be smart and like you have to have some sense of like know-how about what you're getting into. I don't think that fear like magically goes away. I think you got to, you get used to, you just start doing the thing. You get in the rhythm of, it's just business. Like, like if anything you do in life, it always, it seems so scary at first before you get started. And then when you start doing it, you just get in the rhythm. And um, I just think if it's, uh, I'm a bit of a, you've probably noticed by now, but I'm like a little bit, I trust in the fate of the universe a bit. And yeah. I was like, do you know what? If this is meant to go well, it's going to go well. And I'll do everything in my power to like, be smart and be a good person and like on a, you know, I was really, one of the biggest fears I had going into this was that I know how difficult it is to run a profitable hospitality business. And we all know it's very difficult to make money in restaurants. Especially now. Yeah. And I was really afraid, I think because I had been on the line. So for a while, up until very recently, I wanted to be able to give my chefs a decent wage. I wanted to give everyone who worked in my kitchen a, a, a livable wage and I was like, shit, man, like that, that I found really scary. And it's being responsible for other people as well as yeah, yourself. Is people's lives. Like um, what I would say is that, you know, you have to really trust your intuition and your gut and you've got to um, enlist the support of people who are in the same business you're going to go into. Um, try uh, one thing I, I'm proud of myself for doing when I got to London, I set out on making good connections with people in the industry here. So working in kitchens, I, I was at Rubedo in Stoke Newington, you know, working Wednesday to Sunday and we didn't have, you know, I didn't have a lot of time off. So I was like, I need to meet people. I need to make friends with chefs because I want to get to know the city. And I worked hard at it, like work hard at like getting to know people and 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 making those sorts of connections. And I feel very grateful that going into the pub, I could call on my friends who have done the exact same thing I'm doing um, and asking for help. But, you know, be clever, trust your gut, you know, express your concerns with people around you. Um, but also, like, it's life. Fucking take a plunge. Like, mm. you got to, you do, I tend to live my life by the high risk, high reward uh, motto. Yeah. <laughs> I don't personally, I don't think that life in the safe lane gets you the the big treats. <laughs> totally. That's just me. You got, like, I feel like you have to put the work in and also yeah. fear. Sounds a bit Kim Kardashian. Get off your ass and work. Get off your yeah. fucking get off your ass, ass and work. And work. Um, but like yeah. if, you, if you put the work in, I feel like fear is reduced. Fear comes yeah. when you feel really unprepared. Yeah. yeah. And the more work you put into feeling prepared for something, All the more my you nightmares. get to reduce that fear. All my genuine nightmares are from feeling underprepared. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, the other totally, thing. I totally. spent like, you know, people like, wow, this tail is going so great. You must be so happy. And da, da, da. Like, yes, I am. But I also worked really hard in the lead up. I spent months and months and months writing out lists on lists planning menus. I spent months getting to know chefs who I thought would make a great team, you know, putting together the pieces. Like you do have to, you got to really push yourself, but then also take a leap. Yeah. Great advice. High risk, high reward. Great Hope advice. That Thank you so much for the Instagram <laughs> real sound bites. Really My appreciate pleasure. it. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is a good one. 
What would you say the best birthday gift is for somebody who loves cooking? Any thoughts, Han? I really want a rice steamer. I was going to say... great present. I was going to say buying a piece of kit that's like really like long lasting. And mind blowing. Yeah, like I got given a crusade for my 30th and it, mm. it just is like one of the most precious things I own. Or um, if you can pull it off, I think um, lessons with like, if you can get like Ooh. a cooking lesson, like I don't really know if this exists that much, but like if you can get a cooking lesson with like someone great or or some cooks that know their culture's food really, really well and that it's it's difficult to learn the secrets and tips and tricks, like... I think cooking lessons are awesome and really fun. But also, I don't think you can you can beat like a trip away to like a really good culinary destination. Mm, yeah, if, you, if you can totally. pull that off, I think like being like, hey, babe, we're going to San Sebastian for the weekend. Like if if Marcus did that for me, <laughs> like I'd love that. Yeah, Cam, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. I took Cam to Paris for like 36 hours in Paris as a Christmas present. We like got the Eurostar booked yeah. to my hotel and then went to like six restaurants. Yeah. Oh it was God. the That's best the most time. expensive Christmas present. I didn't I've pay for all the restaurants. I just paid for the hotel and the trains in fairness. Oh, but I planned okay. I yeah. planned it, you know. Yeah, um, I think something like that or like a, a beautiful knife. Beautiful knife. Yeah, mm. Or even, you know, a beautiful chef's knife. But one of my most useful bits of cooking kit, if you want a lower budget, is a small serrated tomato knife. Yes. Like those little the Victorinox The Puglia is a knife. Do you know if you've got a Puglia... And you're looking for a knife, my love, you're only going to find a small serrated knife. Like, I've just got visions of my nonna, like, slicing garlic in her hand. Like, that's how all the Pugliese and nonna's, like... I love that. You only use it for everything. But they work for everything. They stay sharp forever. You don't need to sharpen them. And they do everything perfectly. Like, it is... I think they cost, like... Four ninety nine or something. Yeah, or a good like even a, a really good quality peeler. You know how peelers yeah. can be really shit. An yeah. OXO, OXO Y peeler. Yeah, that was a big <laughs> long That's list. A selection. Although I don't know how I'd feel like out of context if I opened her parcel and saw like a four pound ninety nine knife. I'd be like, that's, that's that. I think that's for someone who is maybe it's <laughs> like a secret Santa know. present or yeah. something. You know, or like as as an ensemble of other presents. But it is. It's also it's funny because it does touch on like. Our perception sometimes in food that it's got to be of high financial... Mm. Yeah, like monetarily you've got you to know, spend. For it to be good. When actually you get 10 chefs in a room and they're all going to tell you their their best meals or their best experiences, you know, that they, by and large they're not happening at like the three Michelin star yeah. places. They're, they're experiences which, are, which touch the soul... Like, me, like you saying small serrated knife, like that yeah. to me. Like, it gets you somewhere. If someone gave me a small serrated knife, like who knew me, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you get me. You get me. You know, because that's really like, you know, that's where the heart of food is. Like, I don't know. It's not the fancy stuff. The fancy the stuff, stuff is great. To you. But it's the stuff that like hits home and home is different for everyone. But I think we all look, you know, when I set out doing Tiala, I was like, I just want to nurture people. Like, I want people to show up at the pub and feel like they had their grandma, like, give them a plate of food. And, oh, you know, yeah. the reason I was so excited about the pub is that, like, pubs are to the UK what a trattoria is to Italy. Very comfortable places that, like, you go and, ah, uh, you just feel relaxed and, like, 
you're not you're not putting on airs, you know. It's just casual but really formative. And I think now the way that it's going with food, like we see with all the media that's come about, whatever, about the menu or, you know, the media that's coming out, which is picking Post-capitalism apart. Post-capitalism, exactly, yeah. Exactly. And I mean like. It's like your anti-Noma yeah, movement. Yeah. I, I mean, I personally uh, always look for dining experiences which make me feel <clears throat> hugged and like. They can totally. feel quite cold. I think in the past wee while, and me and Sophie have been talking about in the previous podcast about how spoiled we've become because of like, Ugh, I don't really feel the mood to go out and eat some lovely delicious food. But it's like those really high fine dining experiences, which while they're amazing and once in a lifetime, they can feel very cold. Cold yeah, is so the word. It, it doesn't leave cold. you feeling nourished. No, and I, I've always had that. I've always felt that because like I, you know, in the restaurant that I grew up in, it was like I remember... You know, mum would go up to tables and, you know, she'd notice a little bit of sauce at the bottom of the plate and be like, oh, let me bring you some bread. Or, you know, notice a glass that's got a little bit, oh, come on, let me just, it's on the house, let me give you a little tipple. Like those those extensions of hospitality. Like I I often go pl- clear the plates in the garden at the pub. You know, if I've got a minute, I, I like to see who's on the tables and yeah, see what's left on the plate. It's actually research for me. <laughs> and I saw the other the other night I was putting I was putting a dish down on a table and they were finishing off a pasta and it was like a, a meat, you know, Sunday sugo kind of sauce. And I said, oh, let me get you a slice of bread. Do you want to do a little oh, yeah. scarpetta? And they're like, oh, thank you. And it's like, I could have charged them three fifty, but, you know, I know that there's like, there's a piece in my bread tray in the kitchen that's going slightly stale. Yeah. And that's like... Everybody small, wins and, you know, Everybody wins. Like I, hospitality is such a reciprocal act, you know, it... it depends on the you both rely on each other like the chef relies on the customer but i feel like it's almost a lot of the discourse lately about hospitality has been very like chef versus customer and it's kind of like it feels quite it's insane isn't it i actually like um i was reading this piece in in eater last night uh eater i think us yeah i was gonna say chef who i forgot i forget his name but he's you know older like quite a big name in Mexican food apparently but he was talking about like uh why he didn't like the new season of the bear and the old season of the bear and he's sick of seeing a portrayal in kitchens of the the angry abusive belligerent chef and I completely agree like you look what makes good tv is what makes good tv Mm. and you know that's a whole other beast but like um it's a beautiful business and it's a beautiful transaction that relies on humans getting together and doing the most simple and really archaic of acts which is like breaking breaking bread and like yes obviously there's like a transaction of money <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of layers to it it doesn't like, mean there's still not like genuine human warmth no, and, and love in it and exactly that like you know I think it's I do think it's the responsibility of a diner to when they're going into a place to give hospitality back to the people that are looking after them because I think it's a great um it shows a great deal of like lack of self-awareness. If you show up to a place and you're rude and you're a bit pushy and you get something back from the service that maybe you didn't didn't want, well, it's a two-way street. So you've you know? come here to eat. Like, yeah. we're, we're, like you're not doing us a favor. Yeah. Like you've come here to eat. Like we're doing you a favor. Exactly. You're in our house. And I do, I kind of behave like that a little bit where I'm like, buddy, I know better than you. Like they always talk about like small plates as it comes menus, it's sharing. Listen up, buddy. There's a reason why kitchens do that. The reason is that 
Kitchens operate on really lean labor pools. One chef is on average doing the job of three people. The, way, the reason why we do as it comes in sharing is because it's the easiest way for our kitchen to pump up the food at the pace that we need to pump out the food to turn a profit to make our restaurant survive. Yeah. So I get really annoyed when I see these memes and I'm like, totally. oh, we've like, got to use that on Instagram. We've got to get it's people also mad. the nicest way to eat. Yeah. It's also like shit. It's nice. I find the act of going to a restaurant and having starter main put each where nobody interacts with each other's food. It's so antisocial. Can I they're also gonna, just say for the record now. that your small plates are very generous? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, they're not, it's they're not, not, it's not like, oh, should we have like a quarter of a piece of asparagus each? That's not the vibe. Look, Tiella is generous. Yeah, I also think because like, I do, I do think that some restaurants um, get a bit carried away with portion sizes. Me personally, I don't. Like, I like to make sure people are eating abundantly. Hearty. So I do. Like, I do yeah. think some restaurants have to hear it. But um, maybe I've now been up. I'm going to get blocked. <laughs> Dara, thank you so, so, so oh, much. Pleasure. Your conversation has been so insightful, amazing, revealing. And it's felt so enriching. Enriching. We've come away yeah. and we feel, you know, when you sometimes talk to people and you're like, oh, I've talked to you and I feel so energized. Oh, I feel pumped. Ditto. Pumped. Oh, baby. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, Tiella. <laughs> My restaurant. You must. <laughs> Can go you to please Tiela? come to Tiella? Um, yeah, the Compton Arms. Also plug the gun, like our sister pub. If you like a boogie and you're near Victoria Park, um, go to the gun. What else? Uh, yeah, I can't think. I've had a few glasses of wine now. And now I can't. <laughs> come to my restaurant. There Glad to be of service. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally going tonight. That's so funny. <laughs> I am going tonight. See you there. Yay. Um, so if, is there anything you want to plug? I've got some events coming up. Um, I think I said that in the last episode. I think also. I'm going to the exact but, same thing. Um, I've got some events coming up, so keep your eyes peeled on my Instagram for some announcements of those. I would love to feed you and see you there. So do I. I also have some events coming up, probably in the week that this comes out, or has just been. So if there's any other tickets that you can get your little mitts on, uh, grab them. Um, but otherwise, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. If it's any less than five stars, we don't want to know. I think people actually <laughs> genuinely take that advice. There's like, someone rated it one star. I was like, you're just weird. I'm having a bad day. I would, yeah. I would accept a four. Sometimes we're anxious and we like don't talk about things in a very interesting sure. or fun way. Okay. A learning opportunity for you, like when I get a you know a bad review. Yeah, it's totally. It's totally. opportunity. Yeah. So I take on board that my energy wasn't good that day. Thank you. Thank you for your insight, listener. Thank you for your service. Five or four star review we will accept. You do not know how much it means to us. Plus, it means that we can make more podcasts or more likely to get sponsors. And it just like works out better for everyone. If you enjoy this podcast and you've listened to the end of this episode, then that probably means that you're very keen on helping us create more episodes. I've also had two glasses of wine. So much food. Um, thank you very much for listening. And Thanks, see guys. you next Yay. week. Bye. Bye. Bye.